Welcome to the Digging Deeper podcast. I'm Stacy Martin. I'm glad you're here. This has been an exciting time at Forest Hill. I this this past few weeks are just a buzz with excitement. And this weekend, I'm very or this week, I'm very excited to have my friend Mike Bowler here. Great to be here. It really has been an amazing few weeks at Forest Hill, culminating this coming weekend with vision and then our vision celebration night. It's just it's a great time to be. It's at like Forest it Hill. feels like a beehive. Like there's all this positive energy in the building and all of our buildings. We're here filming at the, the South Park campus, but across all of our campuses, there's like this energy for this new thing that's happening uh-huh. and it, it's tangible. And I am so excited that you're here to unpack what we talked about this past weekend. All right. Sounds great. So two weekends ago, we talked about our new mission statement that we are building bridges that connect everyone to dynamic life in Christ. Yep. This past week, we talked about values. Um, and before we get into values, though, Gray Gardner, who is the um, associate pastor yeah. at the Waxhaw campus, gave this great example. He was talking about that his wife, Jen, had decided to redo their powder room bath. She had this great vision. She'd even bought all the supplies and said and enlisted Gray's help. She's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we're doing this. And here's my vision. And he could not figure out what she was talking about. She had ordered wallpaper and he was like. I'm sorry, what? Wallpaper? Didn't that go down the drain in like the early 90s? And it wasn't until he started getting his hands dirty in her vision, hanging the wallpaper, hanging shelves, that he actually got to see what she was talking about, got to be a part of that. What what is that? Like, what is that about us that we can't see ourselves in the future of something until we get into it? Well, I love that illustration that Gray gave. It was a lot because I think every husband out there can relate to a vision that his wife has had about something around the house and that we with trepidation step into it thinking, all right, I think this might work, but I'm really not sure what we're doing. And when they said wallpaper, I really thought just like you did, what in the world? He went to wallpaper. lower brain. He's like, this is never going to work. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking. And then, you know, you got to get it all right. And if you don't like it, it's there forever. And it's, but here was the thing. And, and I say all that because I think that's part of what, whenever there's something exciting in the future going on, I think for most of us, we tend to step back for a minute and can get overwhelmed with the small, you know, we bore into the small details and we go, wait a minute, what if the wallpaper didn't work right? What? I thought that. And, and we can get real hung up in that instead of recognizing, and this is one of the things that I think is so exciting about growing in the Christian faith, whether you're 15 or whether you're 85, the more that you live the Christian faith, the more that you're in relationship with someone. It works the exact same way. The more you begin to trust in the relationship, you begin to trust in what the promise is, even though you can't see it. So I imagine had Jen come to Gray when they were first married, it would have been a lot harder for him to step into that vision. But they've been you know, married for years now. They understand what it's like to step out in faith and it's the same way with the church it's the same way with organizations it's the same way with relationships at work that there's part of this that as you begin to trust it requires some faith in what you can't see and yet the more you do that this is why in the scriptures for example um you'll see god referred to as the god of abraham isaac and jacob the god who delivered us who brought us out of the land of bondage it's that that phrase is used a lot and it's to remind the reader or at that time the hearer that god had been faithful to them in the past god had delivered in the past and although what you're looking at right now you can't quite see trust that he was the same god who brought you 
out of the land of bondage, out of slavery. He will do this again. He will be here for you. And for all of us with our own stories, it may not be, you know, a vision of a bathroom. (laughs) It may be a vision of something that's going on in our lives that we just don't know what the answer is yet. And we aren't sure where to go, but God has promised to be with us in that. He has made promises to us. I see this with families all the time with their young adult children who have said, I'm really not interested in the faith. I'm really not interested in church. But the scriptures are clear that God will be faithful with the word that was planted in our kids to bring that to fruition, that he will, in the words of the New Testament, complete the good work that he's begun in us or in our children. It's God's promise. So you hold on to that as you step into this vision of the future. For our church right now, so excited that we are stepping into this new season. Do we know how everything is going to end? No. And for all of us, I think it's kind of scary a little bit because you're like, I'm not exactly sure how all this, but God's given us the next steps. And he's painted this vision for us that together, all the leaders of our church have come to a point of believing that God wants us to take this next step and watch him work as we go forward. I think it's so exciting. And I love that that being a part of a new vision for an organization or even for your life or leaning into God's vision requires faith. Yep. Because I think if we could see it clearly, I think if we could look out and, and see how it's all going to it's all gonna play out, we're going to lean on our own strength to accomplish that. Or not do it at all. Or not do it at all. Just look and go, there's no way. I mean, how many things in life have we, I know I've faced, and probably you too, Stacey, that, that life is just, if, if I had known it was going to be this hard, if I had known it was going to be this challenging or whatever it was, I would have just gone no way. And yet on the other side of that challenge is this amazing thing that God has for me. So he leads us step by step, requiring faith, but not all the faith. You need faith for today, not faith for 10 years from now or five years from now. You need faith to believe that your kid is going to turn out okay, even though right now you don't see that, but you need faith for today. Have you been reading my journal? (laughs) I'm a little little wondering if maybe I accidentally sent you something in email about my fear for my strong-willed children child lately. Yep. (laughs) We all have. It's a strong-willed child. It's an unmotivated college student. We all have, either with our kids and with ourselves. And yeah. this is part of what faith is about. It's it's believing in what we can't see and holding on to the promise. And this is where vision is so exciting because we look forward and go, not sure exactly how God's going to do all this. Not sure exactly how the city, the, all the trends that we see in our community right now that are all saying fewer and fewer people are coming to faith and fewer and fewer people are staying in the faith. And But we see all these trends and we go, don't know how exactly God's going to turn that around. We have some glimpses, some ideas, and we're going to step out in faith and we're going to believe that what God's called us to, he will bring to completion. Well, it's interesting. I just had a conversation with somebody this morning that had been listening to a national NPR broadcast yep. about Charlotte because Trump was just here last night for yep. one of his big mm-hmm. rallies at the Bojangles Arena. And what um, basically this NPR... Don't you love living in a town, by the way, that our arena is called the Bojangles Arena? I just love that. It's just, it's like our, our cultural nutrients. Yes, Biscuits, it is. gravy, and chicken. I'm here for it. My kids, we call it sparkly fries. Yeah, They're like seasoned fries. Oh, they, I love that. Sparkly fries are their own food group. Yes, they are. <laughs> and you put, it just makes you, you wonder, and they haven't done this, but you wonder... 
why did they name the sections? Like you have the sausage gravy section <laughs> and you have the ch fried chicken section and you've got, the, and they didn't do that. I think they anyway, could've... if Bojangles is listening, you know, think about that. Cause I think it would go over huge in our community. It would, it would. But that was what was so funny about this NPR segment is that really all they could focus on were the divisions in Charlotte. Mm. You know how polarizing either, whether it be political, in this case, a lot of it was Republican versus Democrat, but it was socioeconomic, it was racial, it was it was all the things, all the reasons why Forrest Hill has said, you know what, we want to be a church. We want to be a group of people that unifies instead of divides. We want to be a group of people that connects everyone to the dynamic life of Christ and to each other to start erasing these divisions that define our city. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's interesting that this city, even though like you're never going to see it in the Chamber of Commerce public, publications, sure. but we have a long history of this. And it's not just in our city, but in our own personal lives, yeah. you know? But what's so, I think what's so cool about this whole process, we've talked about mission. Next week, we're talking about vision, but we're talking about the values, the reason why we do these things. And I think a lot of people forget that there is like this underpinning that motivates what motivates all of us to do anything really, but motivates organizations. And for us, it's not just a Forest Hill specific like basis of values, I don't think. When I look at them, they just are so kingdom centric. Like I look at it and I think about the people who are listening now who don't call Forest Hill Church their home. They're gonna hear these values and these values could animate them to build bridges as well. So um, when we looked at these, these values, they're all deeply rooted in scripture. Um, and we talked a lot about Acts 2, 42 through 47. Why is it important for, uh, for us to lean into fundamental principles? And why was it important back in Acts in the early church for them to lean into some fundamental principles? Well, you know, you're right. The city that we find ourselves in, although incredibly prosperous and for many a wonderful place to live, uh, still plagued with what is core for the human heart, which is the tendency to have mine and my own and to protect mine, and that causes division. And it causes, it's, it is from the very beginning of humanity, it was the idea that our very first human beings, Adam and Eve, said, I want it my way. Mm -hmm. God's holding out on me. God doesn't have my best in mind. I have to protect myself in this thing called the way we're going to live life. I have to do that. So this is what's been passed down over and over again. It's what human beings do. And then we cluster together in small groups of very like-minded, almost homogenous people in order to protect ourselves. And this is the thing that Jesus calls us to a very different place. And the reason that it's so important that the essentials stay fundamental in our church and in the Christian's life is that really the world itself is going to move forward whether we are part of everything going on or not the world is going to continue to spin on its axis but for Christians the question is how will we be in the world as it continues to spin and it continues to divide and it continues to be about me and mine? How are we going to be? And the fundamentals of the Christian faith, the thing we call the essentials, are so powerful because they are the heart of Jesus Christ. This is what we've said that, that in the church, we really have one thing to offer to this world that spins and divides and, and tries to achieve only for 
prime, you know, primarily, not only, but primarily for our own glorification, that Jesus is the core of what we have to offer the world. It, everybody else in all these other areas can do better than the church can do. They can entertain better. They can, uh, they do academics better. They do healthcare, but they do all these things, business better. They do all these things, but they don't hold out the savior of the world who says that God, who created it all, loves us and sent a rescuer for us. That's the core of humanity. It's restoring what is long been broken by Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The church is primarily about Jesus Christ. It is primarily, it is his church, and it is exclusively headed by him. We're told in Colossians, it is not only headed by him, but all things throughout the entire world were made by him and for him. Isn't that amazing? It says every single thing that was made was made by Jesus, was made through him, was made for him. And for us, the essential tenets are core in that who Jesus is, and then the good news that he's come to set humanity free from this self-centered obsession, from this these divisions, from this idea that I've got to take care of myself because there ain't anybody in this world who's looking after me. When God goes, I am completely looking after you. All You are my beloved. I have your best at heart. I only want what's good for you. And then finally, that we know that we've been given the scriptures with the clear purpose of giving us truth. Now, truth that was written in a cultural context that's very different in many ways than our own, and yet the heart of it is exactly the same. So it's our job to look at the scriptures that are fully uh, authoritative, that, that they set the standard for life, they are truth, and to then interpret those into our own world, into Bojangles Coliseum, <laughs> into political rallies, into primaries, into the way we raise our kids, into the way that we relate to one another as human beings. And that truth then changes the way we behave. And as the world continues to behave the way that it does, Christians begin to be, rather than the uh, moral high ground of judgment, they begin to be the servants of the world who come in and with humble hearts tell of the love of God and show of his grace and mercy. And that begins to take all these divisions and begin to bring people together. See, I think that's so interesting because the way that we have that very first value written, the essentials, is that we stand on the essentials. We keep Jesus first, we prioritize the gospel, and we are anchored in the authority of Scripture. And so when you read that, you can look at it and be like, okay, I get what it's saying. Jesus, yeah, gospel. But to hear that the way it should animate us is to live humbly as servants because I think that's, I think where you see turmoil even among Christians or within the church or just people in general is when we focus on the non-essentials when we say you know when we are when we focus on what we believe is right over what scripture tells us is right or what we believe is our way which is not an essential it's interesting to think that what can unify us are the essentials and and not focus on the non-essentials so this is what the protestant church particularly has a long history of division over what i would call the non-essentials our essentials of faith are basically the same essentials of faith for a large, large number of churches throughout the world and throughout time. It is the base 
Orthodox Christian faith. It is what we believe to be most true and most widely held. Uh, the Apostles' Creed would be a, it would be a very old example of this. Uh, our essentials are a little more pointed toward um, a modern interpretation of that, but either way, it is so important to recognize that we really believe, and, and there are growing numbers of churches all over the world who do, that in the essentials we are united. The, we that that is and we hold all of our pastors all the leaders of our church as do many churches all across the world that those are things that we hold and we don't deviate on but there are lots of things that aren't on that list like you don't have to be a christian and be a republican or be a christian and be a democrat that, that is a non-essential a non that would absolutely be a non-essential another non-essential would be the color of carpet that we have in our sanctuary <laughs> Another uh, non-essential would be fill in the blank. There are literally thousands of non-essentials who people who love God, who believe in the transforming work of Jesus Christ, who stand on the authority of the scriptures would say, we just have a difference of opinion. Why? Because we're translating truth from thousands of years ago into modern context, and we're not going to get it all right. So what we've said is, in the essentials, we are united. There is unity there. In the non-essentials, there's liberty. There's the willingness to talk about things and have differences of opinion, uh, to your point, to have uh, political parties be very different and to be united around the truth of the scriptures, the divinity of Jesus Christ, and the saving work of his sacrifice on the cross. But in all things, we're going to exercise love. Okay. And I got to tell you, this is where the church, and I mean in general, and I have certainly been guilty of this, um, that particularly early on in ministry, a lot of pastors, me too, very passionate about, I got to hold up the truth. It all depends on me. Well, it doesn't all depend on me. It depends on God. <laughs> it doesn't, I, God's not hoping that I hold the truth together. He is, he is, but Jesus is bearing witness to the truth. He is the truth. So, um, it's important to recognize that, that sometimes the church has been a really bad advertisement, and certainly many of us at times on, I got to make sure people know the truth. Well, the scriptures are pretty clear. We're to know the truth, and it will set us free, but we're to speak the truth in love. And most people are not going to listen to our truth if they don't believe. At the end of the day, we're not trying to win an argument. We're trying to actually serve you, to love you, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus who said, I came to serve, not to be served. Mm. Well, I love that there was a common thread in this message that tied us back to the first one on mission. Jason talked about this whole um, exchange between Peter and Cornelius. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're wondering about that story, check out the podcast before this one. But this idea that Cornelius was this Roman soldier that after connecting with Peter, who was a disciple, ended up converting to faith and his whole family and all these people that were in his home. It was really the, the first big moment for worldwide growth in the church. And what we see there, and I didn't realize this, Jason took us to kind of the next series of events after that story. Mm -hmm. We're taken to a city in, called Antioch. And what was happening in that city was very much like what we see in a lot of American cities, I believe, where everything's really divided into neighborhoods and socioeconomic groups. And in Antioch, there were literally walls built between the different divisions, the different classes, the different types of people, the different ethnicities. They were all divided up. But Christianity came to Antioch, and people literally physically climbed over the walls 
to come together to be what they called Christians. For the first, this was the place where you actually became the name Christians, Christ followers, because uh-huh. that was more important than any of the other divisions. Well, this has really informed so much about what we believe about kingdom diversity. Mm-hmm. And our second value is cultivating kingdom diversity. What what does it mean to cultivate kingdom diversity? Because that we were very um, we were very intentional about that word cultivate. Yep. So I people do need to check out the previous podcast. Jason did a wonderful job in both his message and podcast of of unpacking that idea historically. Uh, it, it is it is the heart of God, I believe. If you look in the scriptures. Um, to unite people to Jesus, even baptism shows this this union with Jesus that we are united. Not only are our sins washed away, but there is a union that we have with Him that's sealed in in the baptismal waters. That the idea of God wants union with His people. He also wants union within His people, and this is in in both um, the ancient Near East and also today. It is very easy for us to see our primary identity by whatever it is that we hold most unique about ourselves Mm. so or whatever society holds most unique about us and tells us this is who you are and then we will as in the illustration jason gave or or we we will cluster together in those in those identity groups and those become our primary way of being that that's who i am i am a southern white male. That's who I am. I am an Asian middle-aged woman in the Northeast. I am fill in the blank. We, we fill in with, with who we are on the outside. Mm-hmm. It's our primary identity. And Paul was really clear uh, that he wanted people to understand that the gospel changes our primary identity. So he wrote to a church in Galatia and he said, I want to be sure you guys understand that. This is a loose translation. I want to be sure you guys understand. These way of dividing anymore, um, that's not your primary identity. So you're neither male nor female. You're neither Greek nor Jew. You're neither slave nor free. You are all one in Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Does that mean that they stopped being boys and girls? That they stopped being uh, Gentile workers, or Jew, Gentile yeah. or Jew, that they stop being workers or bosses. No, of course they still that that all remained, but that became their secondary identity and their primary identity as a follower of Christ became a follower of Jesus. Became that person who was rescued and saved by Jesus, and that that brought about an incredible unity to the group that looked, acted and oftentimes behaved very differently. But together, they had a unity. This is what is an incredible thing for our witness in the world when we talk about cultivating kingdom diversity. It is not diversity for diversity's sake, which nothing wrong with that, but the real power is that there are differences among people all over the world, but their primary identity as they follow Jesus is of a redeemed person who has the image of God imprinted upon them and is now following Jesus. This is what our primary identity becomes, and this is what transforms it. Does it mean, you, you know, this sense of unity that comes from that? Does it mean uniformity? 
because we oftentimes think, well, everybody has to walk in lockstep. We all have to be. No, there's this incredible richness that comes in the kingdom of God when all our differences come together. When everyone has a seat at the table. Yes. When we all, and, and to understand that we actually reflect more the character of God when we are able to be who we are, but in a way that that now is our secondary identity and our primary identity is as is that that we find in the kingdom. So I'm really excited about this one because it's where the church is headed in eternity anyway. The, you see it in Revelation. I'm- Revelation 7, Revelation 21. Uh, we see clearly that the idea is that every people group is going to stand before God. And I love, I had a theology professor once that said, you know, he was speaking to you know, a group of professional religious people in training, pastors. He said, you guys know that there are going to be all kinds of people who you're going to question whether they're in heaven and you're going to arrive and they're going to look over and smile real big and wave at you <laughs> and go, see? And it's because he said, you guys, you know, you want to divide everything up. You want to have this precision. And the truth is the heart of God is really big. And the power of Jesus' love to save the world is broader than you will ever understand. And yes, the way to eternal life is through Jesus Christ. And you need to recognize that the kingdom of God is so much more, he said, rich and diverse and than you will ever than you imagine and that quite frankly he said brothers and sisters then your churches look right now well and that's interesting because most the churches are known as the most segregate or sunday at 11 a.m is the most segregated hour across our nation yes because of the way churches divide up and what i think is so powerful about what forest hill is saying is that they're saying we're going to do the hard work if you think about like if you were to think about the word cultivate and the agricultural meaning of it you know you think about toiling the soil like or tilling it like getting down in there removing the rocks getting down to a place where there's nutrients planting the seeds tending the plants growing developing leaders like it is intentional and it is hard work and we're saying that we're we're no longer going to be part of that of that uh generality that says that 11 a.m is the most segregated hour on our nation we don't we're no longer going to be a part of that we don't want to be a part of that and forest till has been really making moves to this for a while but this feels like a stake in the ground for Jesus. I mean, this feels like, I love when Jason said, you know, we are planting flags for King Jesus. Like this feels like a flag in the ground for King Jesus and not for our name, but because this is what Jesus asks, asks of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, two things I, I really resonate with in our values uh, almost more than any other and, and, uh, and in our mission. And the thing I resonate with our mission more than anything is that our, we could accomplish our mission and our vision and in large part not have forest hill grow a whole lot mm-hmm. that honestly this is not about forest hills name being made great it is not about really a forest hill vision this is about a vision for the kingdom of god coming more on earth as it is in heaven which is what jesus sent us here to do it's what jesus prayed would happen and that as we do that we are to use the flag analogy we are not hoping that there are forest hill flags all over charlotte metro area and around the world we are hoping that there are jesus flags all over and if we get to play a part and serve the world in that way that is a fantastic thing that's why i'm all in yes because that gets me excited the fact that what 
we're doing. And even like I said, as I think about this podcast and the folks that are listening, I know there are a lot of Forest Hill people, but I know there are a lot of people who aren't connected to Forest Hill. And I'm excited that they can be a part of this without having to change their church home that they're connected to. Or or I know we've got listeners in, in Prague and she's probably listening like, gosh, would you please stop uh, referencing me? Yeah. But it, it excites me to think that there is somebody listening in another country that says, I can cultivate kingdom diversity. I can stand on the essentials. I can build bridges that connect everyone to the dynamic life in Christ. Like yeah. that gets me excited. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things about kingdom diversity uh, and the cultivation of it that I think is really important because it can be daunting, particularly mm-hmm. for those of us who are a little older, who really most of our memory of the church is of a fairly segregated, homogenous church uh, that we really, many of us didn't plan. It wasn't like we set out and said, hey, we want to do this. It just was how societal trends uh, and church trends took us. And we st- and it can be scary. Mm-hmm. To look at that and go, well, what am I, uh, how can I do that? Because I know that's the heart of God. I know that's what he wants us to do. I know that there are societal forces at work uh, within the church and in uh, society in general that are trying to divide us, that are trying to segregate. I, I know the human heart has its propensity to do that the, uh, outside of a relationship with Christ. That is a natural thing to do. Uh, so I, all of that at work, it can just be overwhelming. And one of the things I'd say is that small steps are really important. Mm, That's good. We're not going to solve this issue overnight. We're not going to do it alone. We're going to do it in lockstep with lots of other believers all over the world, all over our community. But small things really matter. Well, it's about relationships. It it is exact, and it and those relationships um, have to. This is why the bridge building component is. They have to be deliberate. They have to be to people who have felt long marginalized. It's not just building a bridge to somebody who I really like, who I'm gonna, who I naturally would connect with. It's building a bridge to someone who I probably wouldn't naturally do that. Mm-hmm. And it starts with small things. I'll give you an example of this. I was, uh, we, we, our, Andre and I, my wife and I, have built our family through adoption. And our youngest is nine now, but years ago when he first came home uh, I was at the doctor's office with him we had gotten some cold or something I don't remember and everybody was homesick and I was the only you know last man last standing, man standing. <laughs> that was so Jason uh, we went to the doctor's office and so and his background is Latino and so we walked in and you know we had been adjusting as a family to uh, being a, a biracial family and you know sometimes you, you get the double look around you get the you know the people going do you go together you know that doesn't cry and and we had been adjusting to that as a family and he's a great kid and and he was feeling kind of not good of course that's why we were at the doctor and I was sitting there with him and I looked up on the wall and there was this picture of a Latino family and Normally, I would have looked at that and been like, oh, that's a cute family. Yeah, fine. Whatever. Mm -hmm. And here's what it did for me, Stacey. I looked up at that picture, and it made me feel welcome. Mm -hmm. It made me think there's a place for me in this doctor's office. They thought about my family in this doctor's office. Mm -hmm. And I know that may sound silly to some listeners, but to me, it was this small step that a nurse or a doctor did when they decorated the room that said, 
we're going to prepare for people that don't look just like us. The doctor was Caucasian. The nurse was Caucasian. We're going to prepare for people who don't have the exact background we do. And it meant so much to me. So here's the, here's the thing I'd say for most of our listeners and for me. Um, small things matter in this. Just take a step mm. and see what God does from that place to another place. Because that picture on the wall began to make me think all these years along and later began to make me think, gosh, um, what am I doing to tell people they're welcome in my presence? Mm. What am I doing to make sure people know who might not feel welcome in my presence for whatever reason that they are welcome? That, that they I have a seat at my table. Yes, that I want them to be here. Mm. Uh, even And this comes up, it, it, it can be skin color. It can be political affiliation feel like some of the we have gotten to a place in our country with political discourse that it is hard to have any type of discussion because we just immediately gear up into what camp we're in yeah it gets and, vitriolic yeah yes instead of we are all created in the image of god c.s lewis said this uh, he, he, and again i'm gonna give a loose translation because <laughs> i can't remember the exact part but but he said something like this c.s lewis said hey um he said, it's important for us to recognize that the people who we walk through everyday life with, just the people, they service our coffee. They, we report to them at work. We drive past them on the road. We live next to them in our condo. That all these people are immortal beings created in mm. the image of God. Now, I know that we like to think of Fluffy the cat and Sparky the dog, that they're going to be in <laughs> Crossing the Rainbow Bridge. <laughs> yes, I, I understand that we, we like to over, and, and I'm not about to tell anybody about what's going to happen to their pet. My cat, Punky, was baptized. Really? Mm-hmm. We can talk about it another time. We, she we, needed it. She really? had issues. Yeah, she, she needed the blood uh, and, and the lamb that, all over that. Did that help her? She crossed over the Rainbow Bridge, and I, I think she felt better for it. Well, that is awesome. <laughs> I'm, I really, I have, I've never heard of that. I have to that. tell you that. I, I, I do want to say, story. though, that I'm, I'm certain. I grew up Methodist. <laughs> I just wanted to clarify for early. That was not at Forest That was not at Forest Hill. Punky not at did not get blessed and baptized right. here at Forest Hill. I'm just, you know, all right. I had a point in all this. You did. I'm sorry. I derailed you. That's but, that, all right. but yeah, there this idea a, that we were a mortal beings, yes, that everyone we walked C. S. by. C.S. Yeah. Lewis, that he wanted us to understand that human beings are imprinted with eternity. Mm. Eternity. That, that the person that hacks you off because they take 10 minutes to order their, I want this on the side, and they really make you mad because you're a waitress and you've got 10 tables, and that person who's going to be really difficult, I get they're difficult, but they're immortal beings with the impression of God put on them. And it's important for us to slow down enough to make people feel welcome in our lives, to make people feel like they have a seat at our table. So we are at Forest Hill taking that seriously. And it'll be with small things like a picture on the wall, and it'll be with really significant things over time. But we are wanting to say that we are cultivating a diversity that our church more and more looks like the kingdom of God in eternity. Well, and part of diversity is not just political, socioeconomic, racial, ethnic. Part of it's generational. And that goes to our third value, which is that we engage who's next. Mm -hmm. Who was the person that poured into you when you were young? So there are, uh, 
it's fun. I was thinking about this because, you know, obviously we've been talking about mm-hmm. this a lot. And I was thinking about it. And it was fun to think about, you know, th- there's the person or two. There's the person that introduced me to Jesus. Uh, there's the mentor that really guided me towards ministry and being a pastor. But I thought about this one guy. And he was a young associate pastor at my church growing up. And I, I went to church begrudgingly with my parents. That was, you know, and I put on my J.C. Penney three-piece suit in <laughs> 1970 with my tie, and I went to church. You know, if parents would just let their kids wear elastic waistbands to church, it would be, it would like diffuse half the battles. Seriously, it was. Put the e- J.C. Penney suits away and bring out the sweatpants. Every week. Jesus doesn't care. <laughs> J.C. Penney polyester suit. Might have had a little wool in there, too, but it was, so I got dressed every week and I went with them. But I didn't do anything else. I mean, nothing else. I didn't go to youth group. I didn't go to Bible. I didn't do anything else. It was, I went to what I was obligated, what I was required. I met the minimum requirement in the Bowler family, and that was it. But there was this young pastor, and every, I mean, every single week, he would catch me. And he'd go, how you doing? And I'd go, I'm fine. And I'd look down, and he'd go, you want to come tonight? I'm like, no, I don't want to no, come. No, thank you. <laughs> no, I don't, but thanks. Next week, same conversation. Next week, I mean for probably three years. This guy moved on to another church. Three years. Now, you would think that that irritated me. You would think that I'd be like, but this guy quit talking to me. I remember that the love of God through this guy because he never gave up on me. He pursued. He pursued and he kept on and he had no fruit. To this day, uh, he doesn't know. He thinks probably he would probably laugh if he heard I was a pastor. They'd be like, I couldn't get the kid to do anything other than sit in his J.C. Penney three-piece suit next to his parents and endorse. Little Polly Blint. Yes, <laughs> that I couldn't get him to do that. But the, wow. but and I share that because we all have stories of, of somebody who poured into us and and they really they were the one that brought us across the finish line. They were the one who guided us. This guy, what he did was he just poured into me every week with no sign of encouragement, with no sign of fruit, with a bad attitude teenager. And you know what? I remember him as Jesus' love mm. in a powerful way. So I, I for a lot of us, um, don't get discouraged. Yeah. You may, God may call you to pour into somebody and build a bridge to them and they never walk across your bridge. But then five years later, somebody else is gonna go walk across your bridge and gonna bring them to relationship in Christ. Well, and the whole idea of engaging who's next is really that we believe that the next generation is worth passing the faith onto. Yes. That they are not just to pass the faith onto, but to develop them as leaders and to pour into them. And if you think about next gen, if you're 80 years old, it doesn't mean that you have to pour into maybe a 14 year old. It's always kind of who's behind you. Yep. Who can you, and it's interesting, I had a conversation with my dad about this. And my dad said, you know, I immediately thought of my son-in-laws and my grandkids. And he was like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think that you would look that closely. You know, should I be thinking about who I'm going to mentor at a local school? Yeah, absolutely. That's an option. Should I sign up to be an advanced volunteer? My dad was one of our youth leaders growing up. Um, Should I do that? And he's like, no, it's not the right season. But he's like, am I intentionally pouring into my son-in-laws and my grandkids with my, like, with my faith? 
And now my his grandkids are very young. But he said, I'm starting to think about what does it look like for me to have a conversation about my personal faith journey with your boys and with the girls? And what does it look like for me to sit down with my son-in-laws and say, this is the way God has moved in my life. Yes. And that was really exciting to think, to hear my dad start taking this value and applying it to where he already is. One of my favorite verses, this was uh, when our eldest came home. This was a verse that God really put on our hearts, and it's from the Psalms, and it says, We will tell the next generation of the mighty works that you have done, your powers and your glory. Mm. And it's this idea of we're going to be sure that our kids know and that the next generation knows that this all wasn't by accident, mm. that there's a God who has great love for them, who has a purpose for their life well beyond what vocation they may choose and how successful they may become, that God has this glorious plan for their life. And this is one of the things that it will be a challenge. It's a challenge for me. It will be a challenge for our church, I think, that when you let the next generation take a center place in what it means to succeed at your church, you're in for a wild ride. Mm. Uh, it is, this is what I love about in, you know, uh, growing up, I said I went to the minimum and there was a season where I had to go to Sunday school. That was mandated. Ooh. So I had to go to Sunday school and they had the felt Jesus board, you know, the mm-hmm. felt boards and you'd get, you know, little felt for your little Abraham stick yeah, them up there. <laughs> you, you put, or or uh, there was the Jesus and the shepherd and, the, and they all stuck up there. And, you know, I thought that's high tech. That's amazing stuff. I mean, that's that's really great. And. Um, as like a second grader or something, I'm looking at that. Wow, that's great. Well, the, you know, one of the stories that that oftentimes for many of us gets relevant, relegated to the felt board is where Jesus is. He's teaching, and there are a bunch of kids, and the disciples are going, No, no, no. You you go sit in at the kids' table. You go over there. We we don't want you anywhere near here. You know, you, you've got your drippy you know, nose, your dirty hands. Hands. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna be loud. You're gonna make a all this mess you can't do you know let's keep them over there we've got a serious schedule to keep and jesus is like no way uh-uh you let them come right down front i want to and in, in that age bless them i want to connect with them I, I want them to be part of what's going on so one of the things about the next generation that's crucial for us to understand is it's going to be about us getting rolling up our sleeves and getting our hands dirty because the reality is that if we're going to have uh, we're going to be serious about those who are uh, babies all the way to young adults, and we're not going to say, hey, we hope you catch this and you better get in line, but we're going to say there's a God who loves you, who has a purpose, and you know what? We're just not going to invite you to come here. We're going to go find you where you are, and we're going to be serious about you engaging the God of the universe and finding this amazing purpose in your mm-hmm. life that he has for you. That is going to be an incredible thing that will require us to change things some. Mm. Just like cultivating kingdom diversity is gonna require us to alter the way we behave some. But you know what? That makes me really excited because I don't know about you, I don't wanna be part of a church that doesn't feel like that we are a movement. That we are are part of Jesus' movement on this earth to seek and to save those who are lost. Absolutely. It is dead religion to me is just the idea of we're going to keep things going the way we've always done them. I love that because it's comfortable, 
But the reality is that just brings us to a point of deadness. It does. But to be on mission with God, to say the next generation matters to Jesus, they matter to us, to say those who don't have a seat at the table, let's pull up extra chairs, let's give a place of honor to those who feel like they have been dishonored in the past, let's get down and wash feet, biblical illustration, Mm -hmm. wash feet, serve people, the world changes with that kind of leadership because mm-hmm. Jesus changed the whole world and that's how he led. Well, our last value is bringing our best. Yes. And what I love about this and what you were talking about, our best is what you just talked about. Yes. Our best is serving. Our best is welcoming. It's all those things. How can I practically today walk out and say, God, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to bring you my best in all that I do today. So... I'm going to give both a positive and a bit of a downer. So I'm going to start on the downer so we can end on an up note here. All right. But here's the reality. I think for a lot of us, if not all of us, a new vision, a new path, a a new season of life, it oftentimes requires us letting go of something. Mm -hmm. And I'm not crazy about letting go of something. I I really, I tend to, we're we're good. We're, everything's okay. I'm going to hold on to things where you manage. Everything's perfectly balanced. It may be rocky, but it's balanced. Um, Rich Young Ruler. This is a guy who had everything. I mean, he had everything. He shows up. He's like, he wants Jesus to assure him that, that he's got it that he is on mission, that he's got this prayer, that everything's good. And Jesus is like, yeah, you got it. Except your money is getting completely in the way of you really being who I created you to be. Now, I'm, I'm, I understand that for the rich young ruler, it was money. For some of us, it'll be something else. Control, relationship, you name it. Pride, Addictions, pride. All of it. All Positive the things that we elevate things. above God. Yep, that there's something my guess is that will prevent us from being all in on this. Something that we got to let go of. It may be something as, uh, as church-centric as I'm willing to put up with uh, music that I don't quite like as much as the old stuff. Why? Because I want my grandkids to come to know Jesus. And I'm willing to wear earplugs in worship if my grandson will know who Jesus is. Mm. Something simple. That's such a good example. It may be letting go of money. It may be letting go of our dream of what we thought retirement would look like. It may be letting go of fill in the blank of a thousand things. But there's something that we probably are going to let go of in order to walk into this new season. The other thing, the more positive, I'd say, how can we be all in? It is by recognizing that everything I've got is from God and he's not going to lay out the path. So I'm going to jump in and I'm going to trust that God's actually going to figure some of this out for me, that I'm not going to have to understand all of it. I'm not going to feel responsible for building the entire bridge because God's on the other side, working on the other side of the bridge on whatever person you're trying to create a relationship with. So don't get so hung up on, I got to have all the answers. I got to jump in and figure God's going to take care of this. And you know what? You may be like 
a mentor that somebody one day goes, you showed me Jesus and you stand there and tears flowing and it's like Mr. Holland's opus <laughs> where you have, you know, it's you've given your, don't you love times, that? Yes, you get to the end and it's like, you know, we are your opus. We, you know, and, and people just cheer and it may be like this guy who poured into me who still doesn't know who's going to be in heaven going, Mike? Mike Bowler? You're here? <laughs> And I'll be able to say because of you, because yeah. you built that bridge, because you cared about me, because you didn't give up. I didn't give up on myself when I was a teenager. I'm going to cry on this podcast, too. I got choked <laughs> up with Jason first time ever, and I'm going to do it again here. Yeah, I'm excited. This this new direction we're going, it's just Jason made, you know, we talked about this whole building bridges thing. and. And with these values and thinking about who doesn't feel like they have a seat at the table, imagine a year from now you're in the water with the person who's yeah. getting baptized, the person that you built a bridge to. Like imagine actually seeing that come to fruition. Yeah. It is, it's breathtaking. I mean, it really is breathtaking. And to think we get to be a part of it is yeah. just, it's amazing. So I want to tell a story. Uh, I know we probably need to come to a close here, so I'll make it a quick story. But I wanted to tell you a story of something that happened on the Waxhaw campus. Um, we, one of our pastors, Jared Lloyd, um, he has a real gift for investing in people's lives. Uh, people who are, have felt marginalized by the church, people who have been un uh, un felt uncared for, unconnected. He just has this gift of being able to come alongside of them. And he has poured into an individual on our campus, a gentleman who uh, has, is blind and has struggled uh, with just uh, all the challenges that come along with living in a world oriented for sight. And JR has walked with him and we celebrated baptisms on the Sunday that we announced this mission. And JR got in the water with who he would call his friend mm -hmm. and not a parishioner, but his friend who he has walked with. And together they celebrated the goodness of God as he was baptized and JR was the person standing there. JR has led the way and how to build a bridge to someone. And uh, our, it was one of the most touching moments in, that I've ever experienced. Oh, I ugly still. cried. Yeah, yeah see, ugly cried. Seeing him <laughs> come out of the water, <laughs> it was such a powerful moment. And yeah. I just, so it, not only is that something possible, what if that, that story replayed all over, not just Forest Hill, what if that replayed all over Charlotte? What if it replayed all over? Because we just are, ten, we tend to think, you know, a downward trend, that's just the way it goes. That is not the way it has to go. That is not the way the early church mm -hmm. went. The early church saw thousands of people come to faith in one sermon. Thousands of people. God can do that. It is his spirit, and we have to make ourselves available and say, God, come and do what you do, which is to bring new life to people who are far from you. Mm -hmm. And that is going to change the entire world as it always has and will continue to. And we get to jump in and be part all in and bring our best as we go forward as a church. Would you pray for us? I don't want to add a single thing to that. <laughs> Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for the fact that you moved upon the waters when there was nothing, when there was no earth, we're told in Genesis that you moved upon the waters and you brought order and life 
out of darkness and chaos. And I know for some listening to my voice now that they are in darkness and chaos, that their lives feel out of control, that they feel blinded by all the things that are, bring so much stress and so much hardness and they don't know where to go. But Jesus, you tell us that you came full of grace and truth, that you were the embodiment of God's love to show us the way. So I pray that for those who feel lost in the darkness, that they would know you as the light of the world, that those who feel burdened and, and pushed down, that they would feel your strength now holding them up. For you say, Jesus, that all who call on your name will be saved. We just need to ask. We need to cry out. We need to ask for your presence to come into our life. As we confess, we've tried it on our own and we've messed it up. God, you forgive us, you love us, and you lead us towards eternity. May you bless our church, God, as we move forward together, as we build bridges that connect everyone to this dynamic life promised by Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, folks, here's your homework for today. Get your calendars out. Jot these dates down. This Sunday, March 8th, is Vision Sunday here at Forest Hill Church across all of our campuses. If you are not part of Forest Hill, you can live stream it at foresthill.org. So join us there. Then on Wednesday, March 11th, we are having an epic Vision Worship Night celebration. Again, that's going to be at the South Park campus, but you're going to be able to see that. We're doing a YouTube watch party and Facebook Live, so no matter where you are in the world, you can join us and celebrate this vision that God has uh, given this church. We are so thankful for you. Uh, Next week, Jason Smith will be my guest. We're going to be unpacking the vision uh, that you hear on Sunday and how you can be all in and what does it look like to take a part in this incredible movement for Jesus. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon.